I'm doing uh, three things today uh, as we approach Genesis 12. You think that's kind of an odd uh, text to use on Palm Sunday. But I'm going to be with you remembering Palm Sunday uh, during as we study the life of Abraham. And of course I am beginning a new sermon series on the life of Abraham. Uh, and I want to give you a final thought on missions as we conclude our missions conference or have concluded our missions conference this past week. Uh, this is a perfect passage to preach on uh, a day when you're celebrating Palm Sunday and a day when you're finishing up uh, your missions conference. So Lord in his providence has provided us with, with uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now the end of Genesis 11, the last few verses there, introduces us to Abram's family. His father's name was Terah. And that's a, a new section of Genesis. If you were to go throughout Genesis, you would see when it starts a new section, it says something to the effect, these are the generations of Noah, or these are the generations of Terah, or these are the generations of Joseph. And that marks a new uh, section of the book. So we're coming to a new section here in the book of Genesis. And so the last few verses introduce us to Abram and his family. Doesn't tell us any much detail about it, just the, just the vitals, age, where they lived, and so forth. But then we come to our text, Genesis 12, and it introduces us to Abram's life. And that's what we want to study. And I want to highlight four things here in these first five verses. I know I told you we're going to read to chapter to verse nine. We're only going to look at the first five today. Uh, four things: or four things: the call, the cost, the promises, and the blessings. So now let's turn our attention to God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country and your kindred." and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Verse 1 of this passage begins with six seemingly insignificant words and apparently out of the blue. Now the Lord said to Abram, at first glance, verse 1 isn't all that striking. We've all heard of Abram, or Abraham, as he's going to uh, come to be called. We know that he was a great man of faith, a, a father of the faith. And so when we hear that God spoke to Abraham, we're not shocked, we're not amazed, we're not taken aback by this fact, and we can just read over it. Of course the Lord spoke to Abram. It's... it's it's just one of the many times that God spoke to Abram or Abraham. But let's not miss the importance of what's happening here in these first few words in Genesis 12:1. These words are monumental words. Absolutely monumental. You may not be aware of this, but at this point in Abram's life, he and his family were not followers of the one true God. Yahweh, 
as his name is. Uh, as it says there in verse 1, if you were to look at the original language, God's covenant name, Yahweh, this God, the one true and living God, appeared to Abram and, he's, and, and spoke to him. Abram wasn't even a follower of God. Joshua 24 tells us so. Joshua is speaking to the Israelites as, as he comes to the end of his career, as they have moved into the promised land. And he said, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. So they worshipped and served other gods in Ur of the Chaldees, which was in Mesopotamia. And God calls Abram out of paganism now, they were probably moon worshippers. Some of the names, uh, the family names that you get at the end of chapter 11 point towards this, as well as the fact that Ur and Haran were well-known centers of moon worship. We don't know that for sure. That's a bit of speculation. But it seems like, when we come to verse 1, this first few words, that we have Abram going about his business, possibly worshiping the moon god and so forth, living his life, and then one day... God speaks to him, and he listens, and he obeys. And it was no small thing, this listening and obeying the call of God, because once these words occurred, now the Lord said to Abram, the entire course of human history was set on its course. You think about it. God called Abram out of paganism in Ur of the Chaldees, and then three major world religions were born. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Can you imagine that day? It seemed like any other day. Minding your own business, doing what you do, and then God calls. Bang! And the rest is history. Of course it's history because Abram was obedient to the call. He listened to the call. God calls people. He does that. It's tempting to think that he only calls important people. You know, we can think of God calling Abraham here in our text or, or Samuel the prophet when he was a little boy there in the temple and he heard God calling uh, and he ran up to Eli the high priest and said, what do you want? And Eli said, eh, you know, go back to sleep. And then after this happened a few times, Eli's catching on. You know, God's talking to little Samuel. God called him. Or Isaiah, when he encountered the glory of God in the temple and answered God's call, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Or we can think of the great women of the Bible, Ruth or Esther or Mary or the other prophets or, or the apostles. Jesus called his first disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Paul, the apostle, encounters God on the on, uh, God's call on the road to Damascus. God calls people. God calls people, but don't fall into the trap of thinking that he only calls important people. Because these people that I've just listed were not important people until they answered the call of God. They were shepherds and fishermen 
and tax collectors and doctors and scholars who heard the call and answered the call and then became important people. These great men and women of the Bible have something in common with Abraham. They all obeyed the call. So don't think that the call is just for important people or people who are called to an important task. Because the call of God is not a rare thing. Uh, Don't fall into that trap either, that the call of God is reserved for just for those who are called to an important task, like Moses to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, or Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. No. The call of God is a common, weekly, daily occurrence, and it is universal. God's call goes forth to us all. The Bible says, whoever believes, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, any individual who would turn from sin to the Lord in faith, there's a call that goes out. Come to me, all that are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. God is calling. He's calling you. Will you listen? Will you, like Abraham, heed his call? Well, before you answer that question, let's look at the cost. As Jesus said, and as some of our hymns say, you've got to count the cost before you answer the call. What was the cost to Abram? It says here, God asked him, or told him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In order to follow God, to answer the call, he had to leave behind his country, the place that he had always lived, probably. He had to leave behind his kindred, the family around whom he had always lived. And he had to leave his father's house. He had to leave his very home to answer the call of God. Abraham was called to leave the life that he had always known. The familiar land, the comfortable relationships, the security of home, and the gods that he had always worshipped. He left those things, and he never went back. He left behind his old life. He crossed that bridge out of Haran, and he set fire to it. He could not cross back again. And that's precisely what the Lord calls you to do today. And I'm saying he's telling you to move out of your house, to pack it up and go, uh, or to, to take all your earthly goods and give them away. No, he's calling you to, to leave your old life, your old gods, your old relationship with the world, the sinful practices in which you are engaged, and he wants you to burn the bridge back to it. Leave it. Get out and follow me. I was speaking to someone recently and struggling. New, making it, they just have made a profession of faith. They're struggling in their faith, struggling with the old life. And uh, they started off well, but now... They're making connections back into the old life, the old ways. Old relationships are coming back. See, they haven't cut themselves off 
from the old ways and they're falling right back in to worshiping the, the old gods, the old idols of the heart that they run to for comfort and peace and security instead of the Lord. When God calls, the cost is to, to leave that behind. He's your God now. See? The moon God is no more. He's not my God anymore. This is my God and I'm going to follow him wherever he leads. That's the call to go out. Jesus said this to the disciples. Matthew 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their nets and they left their boat and their father and followed him. God calls you out of your old life to follow him. And where will that lead you? Who knows? As God told Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The writer of Hebrews explains it this way. Can you imagine this? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram, I want you to leave everything behind and go. And I'll show you where later. That's not easy or comfortable. The cost of following the Lord is a ferocious call. Let me put it this way. We're, we're called to give up anything. We're called to give up anything. And I'm not saying the word everything on purpose. Because you may not be required to leave everything, your home. I mean, even, even Abram took his people with him and he took the things that he had accumulated there with him on his journey as he left. But he was, he was called and we are called to give up anything. We must be willing to leave our home if God requires it. To answer the call of God, you must be willing to give up anything. You shall have no other gods before me. God is a jealous God. He wants all of you. Jesus said this in Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That, my friends, is a hard saying. Now certainly Jesus is not saying that we should actually hate someone. That would go against things that he said in other places, that we are to love others. But what he's saying here is that our love for the Lord, our, our commitment to him must be far greater than that of even our closest family. He goes on to say, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? That's what we're doing here, counting the cost whether he has enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We must be willing to give up anything to follow Christ, especially our sin. We must be willing to give up our sin, to renounce our sin, but it also may require our comfort we may have to renounce the familiar to be his disciple, to follow him wherever he leads. And who knows where that might be. So there's a cost to heeding the call to give yourself to the Lord completely. It's costly. You're putting yourself in his hands and it requires faith that you do so. And that's why Abraham did it. He believed the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He put his entire life in God's hands and said, wherever you lead, I will follow. The disciples did the same thing. They had their nets, their livelihood, their family. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left it all behind. The boats on the shore. They didn't go and put them in, uh, put them in storage somewhere to, to guard them and, and make sure they kept them. They left it and went and followed Christ. There's a cost to heeding the call of God. John Calvin said, It is an extremely severe trial to give up what we have in hand in order to seek what is afar off and unknown to us. But know this, my friends, there is a cost, a high one for sure. But there are also promises. If we just stopped there, we'd probably be very discouraged. But there are precious, precious promises to the one who heeds the call of God. Verse 1 describes what is required of Abram, right? We've been talking about that. Go from your country, your kindred, your home. But notice, that's what Abram is required to do, but what does God say he's going to do? Look at the I wills. You know, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I'm going to give you a land. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And who dishonors you, I will curse. I will. I will. I will, God says. Yes, Abram, you have to leave your country. You have to leave your old life behind. But I will bless you well beyond what you leave behind cost is great, the promises are greater. The promise of the Lord far, far outweighs the cost of discipleship. Always. Jesus affirms this in his parable, two parables he told back to back, the parable of the, of the treasure hidden in the field and the treasure of the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why would he do that? 
because he knows that that treasure is worth more than he has now. And he's willing to give that up to gain something greater. Or the merchant. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. This guy was into pearls. And he had all this, he probably had a collection of pearls, but he found the best one. The, the one that he was passionate about. The one that was of the greatest value and he sold all that he had. You know what he had at the end? He had a great pearl. That's it. He didn't have anything else. But it, it, was, it brought him joy. Uh, it, it was exactly what he was looking for. And he found it. And he gave it all to have it. Yes, Jesus calls you to renounce all to be his disciples. The cost seems high. All. That's scary. But it is nothing compared to the joy of what you gain. Nothing compared to the joy of what you gain by giving yourself like Abram to the Lord. Paul knew this. Philippians 3. I count everything as loss. He's, he's recounting his old life. All the things that he had achieved in his life. And he was a high achiever. He was one of these people you hate because everything they do, they're good at. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Christ far outweighed, outstripped anything else that he had in his life. And he lost everything to gain Christ. And Abram knew this. The writer of Hebrews, as we've read, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to God to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Why was he willing to leave Haran and his father's house, his country, for Canaan? For a place, well, he didn't even know it was Canaan at the time. Because he was looking to a greater city. He knew and believed that God would give him something greater than he had at the time. I love that Hebrews 11 chapter. Moses was the same way. and He says it more explicitly in the account of his life. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, he had it all. He was a royal son by adoption. And he could have lived there and had whatever he want, any pleasure that he wanted, uh, because he was in line to be, he was in line to one of the princes. He's one of the kings of Egypt. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He could pass up the treasures of Egypt. He could pass up all the pleasures of sin and go and bear the reproach of Christ with the people of God because he was looking to a greater reward. I will, 
I will, I will, God says to you when he says, come and follow me. Renounce it all and I will. The Lord calls you to follow him. Do you trust him? Will you trust him? Now, God's I will may not mean today or tomorrow. You know, Moses had to wait on the I will. Abraham had to wait on the I will that had been promised to him. It was in the future and requires something that we don't like, delayed gratification. You know, we are a culture of people who like instant gratification. We want it now. Now, I've said this before, but I, I always get tickled when I'm in the line at McDonald's. And, you know, if they're going a little slow... People in line are just honking their horn and they're getting upset because it's taken, you know, a couple more minutes. But, you know, you couldn't go home and cook a burger that fast and have it in your car with fries and a drink. Even if you had to wait five extra minutes, it was still, it's still faster than what you would get it, doing it on your own. We want it now. We're used to getting it now. But God's promises are future. And we have to trust him that he's going to deliver on those I wills. And he will, because he's faithful and he cannot lie. And the Bible promises that. Now finally, the blessing. Here's the part where I bring in the missions conference. Why does God call us? Why does he want us anyway? Well, he loves us. He cares for us. But here, it tells us something else. It says... Go from your country, etc. I will, I will, I will do all these things for you so that, the end of verse 2, so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God wants to bless more than just Abraham. He wants to spread that blessing to the entire world. And he called Abraham so he could do that. And he does the same for me and you. Abraham was sent out. He obeyed. And the nations were blessed. I think I've included on your sheet this Galatians 3 passage. This is awesome. Galatians 3, 7 through 8. Paul's talking about Abraham. And he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. See? We are enjoying the blessings that Abraham procured by going out leaving his country, the nations. We are the nations. And we are enjoying the blessings of Abraham. And we can call ourselves his children if we have faith in the Lord. So those of faith, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Genesis 12.3 is the gospel, Paul says. That's good news. He's foreseeing that we are all going to be included in and invited to come and to be called ourselves to enjoy the blessings that Abraham secured. Now today, we're, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. You know, we, we're, we're, we're talking about trusting Christ. Why should we give our lives into his hands. Well, Christ is the greater Abraham because he was sent out. He obeyed the call and 
he secured the blessings to the nations. If you think about John's account of the, of the, of the last week of Jesus' life, actually his whole life, John has some interesting uh, tendencies in his book. It talks about the hour in, in the book of John over and over again. When Jesus is early in his ministry at the wedding of Cana, and Mary says, you know, you know, listen to Jesus and he'll help you out with the wine problem. That's not exact. that's a paraphrase, okay? And Jesus said something interesting. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That's a strange thing to say. John 7, he's made some people angry at him by speaking the truth. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And then the next chapter, chapter 8, he was preaching. These words, he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. What is this hour that he speaks of? And we come to chapter 11 of John. He raises Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And because he does this great thing and the people are excited about it, which, I mean, hey, you've got to get excited about someone being raised from the dead. If you can't get excited about that, you can't get excited about anything. The religious leaders were not excited about it. They wanted to kill him all the more, and they plot to put Jesus to death. So, the, so John tells us that Jesus left there, and he went away from Jerusalem, away from Bethany, to Ephraim in the wilderness. And he's out there waiting. And then there's a transition. The next scene you get is the Passover. The Passover is coming and people are wondering, wonder if Jesus is going to show up for the Passover. And six days before John chapter 12, it tells us that Jesus is back in Bethany. He's out of exile, so to speak, in the wilderness and he's back heading towards Jerusalem. And he's in Bethany. And that's where Mary anoints Jesus. And Judas says, you know, why did, they waste the, why did you waste this expensive perfume? You could have sold it and you could have given it to the poor or you could have put it in the bag that I carry around and I could have stolen the money, which is really what he was thinking because he was a thief. But, but he says, don't forbid her. She's doing this for my burial. Jesus knows that he's heading to Jerusalem. In time eternal what theologians call a covenant of redemption. God the Son agreed to carry out the Father's will. God the Father's will. To be a redeemer for his people who are lost because of sin. And he is coming, he is heading to Jerusalem to complete that mission. Over and over in the book of John, Jesus says, I come not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. I come to do the Father's will. And he's doing the Father's will. And then after Mary anoints him, and he says it's for his burial, he rides into Jerusalem, seated on a donkey, to die. What we're celebrating here today. 
And then something interesting happens after he gets there. I've read this many times and really not, you know, think that's a strange thing. It says, John 12, 20, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I've often wondered, because you never, it never comes back to the Greeks. You, know, you never know if they met with him or, or anything. That's it. That's all you hear about the Greeks. But as I was reading this and thinking about Palm Sunday, and you know, that must have been a signal for Christ. For he's now he's saying, the hour has come. The nations. The Greeks represent the nations. And Christ is remembering that he is the greater Abraham. And he has come on a mission to secure blessings to the nations. So he can call them all to himself. And they can enjoy the I-wills of God. He goes on to say, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, worldwide fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, The Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And he will, because Jesus is fulfilling the mission. He's answered the call. He's paying the price. And we will reap the reward if by faith we leave all and follow him, give our lives to him. And then in turn he sends us out. He says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So that we can be a blessing to the nations across the street and around the world. As Dr. Madero said so many times this past week. Will we obey? Will we hear the call? Will we listen? Will we follow Let's pray.